This is The Guardian. A warning. This episode contains strong language and descriptions of domestic violence. Please listen with care. You're about to hear evidence as set in court during the Ben Robert Smith defamation trial, read by voice actors. The evidence has been edited in some respects for time and ease of listening, but remains an accurate representation of those sections of the trial. It's December 6, 2017, in the morning of Emma and Ben Robert Smith's 14th wedding anniversary. Emma collects the mail from the post office box she shares with her husband. I went to our P.O. box in Budrum, as I did most days, and there was an anonymous letter that was in the letterbox addressed to Ben. Uh, I opened it. The letter is tendered as evidence in court. I can imagine what you were doing with another lady other than Emma at Suite 991 Hyatt Regency in Sydney for three nights from Sunday 19 November to Wednesday 22 November. People saw you there. It's on your credit card and phone records. Why are you risking everything that you have built in your life? Your wife slash marriage, your daughters slash family, your career, your reputation? Where is this affair taking you? You need to stop and maintain your high standards and reignite your love slash marriage with Emma. The letter is signed, A Friend at Seven. Emma goes to confront her husband. I went into Ben's office and he shut the door and I asked him, was it true, was he having an affair? And he denied it and said that Person 6 had sent it to him in the mail. Person 6 is another SAS soldier. He didn't give evidence at this trial, but it said he is one of the soldiers who dislikes Ben Robert Smith intensely. What did you say to him when he told you that? Nothing. Emma says she didn't believe her husband's explanation. But despite this, they still celebrate their anniversary that night at a restaurant on the Sunshine Coast. Had dinner as a normal married couple. Um, In the back of my mind, I knew that Ben was lying to me and I was terrified of what it now looked like. I'm Ben Doherty, and from Guardian Australia, this is Ben Robert Smith versus the media. We now know that Emma Roberts was right to be suspicious. Her husband was having an affair. And this affair has become one of the key contested elements of Ben Robert Smith's defamation trial. Robert Smith, one of Australia's most decorated soldiers, is suing three Australian newspapers over a series of articles which he claimed falsely portray him as committing war crimes and an act of domestic violence. The newspapers are defending their reporting as true. In this episode, you're going to hear about the breakdown of Ben Robert Smith's marriage and the tempestuous affair between him and a woman known to the court as Person 17. The newspapers allege Person 17 was the victim of an act of domestic violence and a campaign of intimidation. Robert Smith denies these allegations. He says they're a complete fabrication. Now, this is a man who was chair of the Australia Day Council that picked domestic violence campaigner Rosie Batty as its Australian of the Year. A man who was also Australian Father of the Year in 2013. This is a man who was 
revered publicly as a hero, a fearless warrior, now accused of a cowardly attack on a defenceless woman half his size. This allegation undermined that public image in excoriating fashion. But even more acutely, Robert Smith tells the court the allegation was especially hurtful because it offended his sense of who he was. The court is yet to hand down its judgment. I first met Ben on Friday, the 13th of October, 2017. I met him at a charity lunch that I attended with my husband. Person 17 is testifying for the newspapers. She asked the court to keep her real identity secret because she fears for her own safety and the safety of her young children. At this charity event in October 2017, Person 17 and her husband are introduced to Ben Robert Smith. He asks if the couple would like to take a photo with him. They say yes. When the function ends, Person 17's husband goes to pick up their kids from a friend's place. Person 17 and Ben Robert Smith both end up at the after party. So everyone was quite drunk by that stage. Uh, and I was out on the dance floor with some friends and I saw him watching me. And Later, when I went to the bar, he started talking to me and we just started flirting and talking to each other. We moved inside and we're just sitting on a couch together, talking. He had his arm around my back and I had my hand on his leg and, yes, yeah, so it was probably obvious it was sort of getting close. Later that night, Person 17 and Robert Smith confide in each other. So we talked for quite a while and um, I told him about some problems that I'd been having in my own marriage because obviously he'd seen that I was married. So he said, you know, that's, yeah, it's sort of the same. Um, You know, I'm not happy in my marriage, but I feel like I can't leave. When we went downstairs at at the venue, I think it was obvious that we were getting close. A friend of my husband's came and said to him, you know, what are you doing? She's married. And he said, so am I, you know, as if nothing's going to happen between us. But something did happen. And then he said to me that I should leave by the front door and he would go out the back door and meet him outside. And that's what I did. So we went back to his hotel room and we had sex several times that night. Person 17 says she didn't think anything further would come of that evening but they did see each other again and flew between cities nearly every 10 days to meet in secret. During the trial, the court is presented with hundreds of text messages sent between Person 17 and Robert Smith. Some of them, from around the end of 2017, reveal the escalating intensity of the relationship. This is a message that Ben Robert Smith sent to Person 17 on Boxing Day. You're amazing. You make me feel like I never have before. Em is feeling my lack of affection. It's getting pretty obvious. It makes me sad, but uh, I've fallen for you and there's just no other way to describe it. I know. As hard as I find being away from you, it's the lying and pretending that's doing my head in. We need to make this happen. The sooner we're together, the better. There's another exchange later that month. This is an abridged version. I do think about you every waking minute. You're so amazing to me. 
I feel that it's the calm before the storm as well. We are going fine, but because Em is trying so hard, I feel like shit and really nervous about hurting her. I think I just need to see you because when I'm here alone, I just feel bad about this side of it. Yeah, I'm starting to feel that from you. I hope I'm not going to end up out of sight, out of mind. You're never out of my mind, and I keep thinking about meeting your family and you meeting my girls, what we could do together and where we could go in life. According to Person 17's evidence, they were getting serious by the end of that year. We had started to talk about our plans for how we would be together long term. He said it would be better both publicly and privately if our relationship didn't become known to our spouses as an affair. But it would be better if it looked as though we got together after we'd both left our spouses. And yeah, so we're making plans for a future together. Ben Robert Smith first met his wife Emma in 1998 at a military ball. They were married in 2003 and had twin daughters seven years later. Today, Emma Roberts appears in court giving evidence for the newspapers under force of subpoena. She doesn't get a pseudonym. There's no anonymity for her. She'll be required to step through the breakdown of her marriage in open court. Every answer, every emotion on public display. Asked to relive one of the most traumatic periods of her life, she's unwavering, quietly, precisely telling the court of when things began to unravel. In this podcast, we're going to refer to her as Emma, rather than Roberts or Robert Smith, so as to distinguish her from her ex-husband. I had heard another mobile phone in our bedroom vibrate. I asked him if he had a second phone and he denied it. His behaviour was very, very different to what it had been during our marriage. Lawyer for the newspapers, Nicholas Owens. And can you tell his honour in what way the behaviour was different? When he travelled, he would turn his phone off. The conversations we had as a married couple were very limited. He would be constantly taking selfies of himself and I knew they weren't for me. Emma tells the court she often asked her husband if he was having an affair. His answer was always no. She says she was still sceptical. But she says at this point, they were still married in every sense of the word. This is important because there is disagreement in this trial about whether or not Ben Robert Smith and Emma were married, or married but separated, during the months of this affair. Robert Smith says at the time he met Person 17, he and Emma had already separated. Here's what he tells his lawyer, Bruce McClintock. Uh, Mr Robert Smith, did there come a point in 2017 where you and your wife separated? Yes, there was. Approximately, what, what time was that? It was towards the end of September 2017. And how long did the separation last? It was approximately six months. Robert Smith says the separation meant he would sleep in the couple's granny flat or in a different room in their Sunshine Coast family home and that despite the separation, the relationship remained amicable. Emma says they weren't separated. She says they were living together and sleeping in the same bed. So between Emma and Robert Smith, one of them is not being truthful about this period of separation. According to Robert Smith, he told Emma about his relationship with Person 17 during an overseas family holiday in January of 2018. Did you have a discussion in Singapore with her about, about the 
or with your wife, about the relationship with Person 17? I did. Yes. How did that come about? In the interests of trying to move forward and have any hope of successfully maintaining our relationship, I decided I needed to tell her. Emma doesn't remember the trip like that. I had suspected that he was seeing somebody else on our holiday in Singapore. He was behaving very erratically, not spending a lot of time with the girls, and I, and I had my doubts. At this point in time, did you know that he was seeing someone else? No. Emma is adamant they weren't separated. And the reason why the court hears so much about this issue is because the newspapers argue that these irreconcilable accounts raise broader questions about Robert Smith's credibility. If Robert Smith is willing to deceive and manipulate here, then Justice Basanko needs to decide if he's also willing to lie about other matters before the court. At the end of January 2018, following their trip to Singapore, Robert Smith suggests that he and Emma attend marriage counselling. And I asked him whether it was whether it was to wrap up our relationship or to save it. And what did he say? To save it. The couple attend four sessions in total over January and February of 2018. Notes from these sessions tendered as evidence in court make no mention of an affair or separation. Now, you mentioned that he denied to you that he was having an affair. Did you ever become aware that he was having an affair? Not until the 6th of April 2018. In January 2018, Person 17 and Ben Robert Smith were still in a relationship. But for the sake of his marriage, Robert Smith says he was in discussions with Person 17 to end it. There were numerous conversations happening over the phone while Person 17 was on holiday with her family in London. Person 17's husband was aware of the affair, she says. They're travelling together for the sake of their young children. But it's while she's on this holiday, in February, that Person 17 says she discovers she's pregnant. And Ben Robert Smith is the father. I knew that the father was Ben because I had not slept with anyone else, including my husband. And in any case, my husband's had a vasectomy. But she doesn't immediately tell him about the pregnancy. She says Ben is talking about ending the relationship. So she waits another week. I called her and we had a conversation, had multiple conversations in the hours following that. And we talked about what the best course of action was because clearly she had a family, I had a family, and we had agreed to terminate the pregnancy. This is how Person 17 describes that conversation. He was surprised initially and he said, you know, I won't, we're going to have to deal with that when you get back to Australia. And I agreed with that. But Robert Smith is suspicious of Person 17. He says he doesn't believe she's pregnant and he tells the court why. Because they're very easy to fake pregnancy tests and I had no idea whether she was or she wasn't because I had just told her I didn't want to continue the relationship and immediately after me ending the relationship on the phone, she told me she was pregnant. And that rang alarm bells to me for obvious reasons. Person 17 tells Robert Smith that she's booked the termination for March 12, after her return to Australia. But in court, she says she never made the appointment. She has a miscarriage. Owens asks her why she didn't tell Robert Smith about this at the time. During that time, I 
which during that time I miscarried the baby. And we'd just been fighting so much during that week after I told him about Pookie in for the 12th. There were just a couple of days where he didn't return my calls. Regardless of her anonymity, it's clearly been immensely difficult for Person 17 to come to this place to tell a room full of strangers about this time in her life. This is deeply emotional evidence. I couldn't contact him. And, yeah, we've just been arguing. He wasn't returning my calls. I just, I thought that was better so that I could just tell him about it face to face. Meanwhile, Robert Smith assumes Person 17 is proceeding with the termination and that she's booked herself an appointment at Greenslope's private hospital in Brisbane's inner south. The pair arranged to meet there in person after the appointment. Robert Smith, who's still suspecting that Person 17 isn't pregnant, asks a private investigator, a former policeman he knows called John McLeod, to secretly surveil Person 17 from outside the hospital to find out if she actually attends the appointment. I just wanted to know the truth. I felt that I was about to be manipulated and I didn't feel the situation that was transpiring was real. John McLeod does as he's instructed. He follows person 17 to Greenslopes. He watches her. He films her. And then he sends the video to Robert Smith. What did Mr McLeod send you, Mr Robert Smith? He sent me a video of person 17 leaving the hospital itself. She walked out the front and was able to pick up her own bag. Looked normal as if she had just stepped off, stepped out of her workplace or off, off a plane. Was dressed nicely, no issues at all. And obviously able to pick up her own bag, which I thought was strange, given that it would be a reasonably invasive procedure. Person 17 goes to Greenslopes because that's where she says she'd planned to meet Robert Smith. She enters the building to use the bathroom and she waits for him. But Robert Smith calls to tell her he's stuck in a meeting and he can't come. So she gets in a taxi and the two meet at the Milton Hotel on the other side of the Brisbane River. They go up to their hotel room. He said, oh, what's going on? You know, you haven't had a termination this morning, have you? If you're not even pregnant, you know, you might as well just leave now. Person 17 says Robert Smith forces her to watch the video. John McLeod has just taken off her. And he showed me also a photo of... a video of me at the Greenslopes Hospital getting into the taxi. But then the conversation takes yet another turn. Person 17 tells him she had the termination at a different hospital, a hospital in Townsville. He said, well, you know what's happened. Did you get it done in Townsville? (sighs) Sorry. I just said yes, because I just knew that all he cared about was that I wasn't pregnant anymore. So I said yes, and he said, well, you better be able to show me the proof that I'll get the CCTV from Townsville. And then, finally... I was crying, and I just told him what really happened. By what really happened, you mean... I told him that I'd had the miscarriage. In cross-examination, Owens, the lawyer for the newspapers, questions Robert Smith on his behaviour. 
Do you agree that hiring a private investigator to follow and secretly record your girlfriend is abusive and controlling behaviour? No, I do not. I had a clear concern that I was being manipulated and I just wanted to know what the truth was because I couldn't seem to get it from person 17. And she was telling me a lot of things at the time that I didn't understand and I just wanted to know. Despite the argument, Robert Smith and person 17 go out for dinner that night. And during dinner, he said to me things like, you know, and he was a good friend to have and not someone I would want to get on the wrong side of and that I shouldn't be surprised that anyone could find out what they want about me. He said that I could get into your bank accounts if I wanted to. Under cross-examination, Robert Smith denies that he ever threatened Person 17. You told Person 17 that you could access her bank accounts, didn't you? No, I asked her what she would like for dinner. I talked about why she was lying to me and how we could get back to a a better place because it didn't need to be like that. We could be more open with each other and work through whatever the issue was because I was still concerned about it because I did have feelings for her. Robert Smith tells his lawyer, Bruce McClintock, that he tries to end the relationship. I explained to her that I thought we just needed to recalibrate ourselves and talk about, you know, the best way to end the relationship so that everybody you know, can behave in the appropriate manner. Because I was concerned about what had just happened. And, you know, I don't know if person 17 was or wasn't pregnant, but her behaviour there and what she had done gave me great concern that I, as I said before, was being manipulated so that I would stay in the relationship. Did she explain why she told you those stories? She basically just said that she didn't want me to to break break off the relationship. But the relationship continues. Robert Smith is asked by Owens why he would want to keep seeing someone he believes is manipulating him in this way. And I want to put it to you that you wouldn't have kept the relationship going and continue meeting with her if you really felt that she had lied about being pregnant and was manipulating you? No, because after that, when we had dinner and talked about it and then subsequently talked on the phone, we got back to a reasonably comfortable place. And I did have feelings for her. So I didn't want to just end it after that because I felt like maybe we just needed to see each other. And I had no, I, well, what can I say? It's a relationship. It was a relationship that was difficult. It was good at times and sometimes things are just difficult. Less than a month after Person 17 tells Robert Smith about her miscarriage, they fly to Canberra together. It's Wednesday, the 28th of March. 2018. Robert Smith's actions later this evening are at the centre of the domestic violence allegation. When Person 17 and Robert Smith arrive in Canberra, he has some work commitments. He goes to the Australian War Memorial to have his photo taken and afterwards Person 17 and Robert Smith go for lunch at a local winery. Both of us would have consumed at least one bottle of, of white wine. Each. Each. The evidence before court is conflicting about how much they both drank that day. Uh, when we got to the lunch, I had a cocktail to start with. It was like a, like a Pim's or gin, like a cocktail. And he started drinking a bottle of wine. We had two bottles of wine over lunch. Recall how much of the two bottles would have been consumed by you and he, respectively. He drank most of the first bottle because I had the cocktail and then we shared the second bottle. 
They go back to the hotel and Robert Smith says that Person 17 took a Valium. She denies this. That evening, Robert Smith is MC for the Veterans Employment Awards hosted by the then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull in the Great Hall of Parliament House. So during the event itself, I was seated at the Prime Minister's table. I was up and down most of the night to fulfil my duties as the Assistant Master of Ceremonies. Person 17 also attends, but she's been seated at a distant table. And did you have any interaction at all or any contact with Mr Robert Smith during the night? Um, I don't remember once we sat down. I don't remember interacting with him at all. I just remember him looking at me from the stage and sort of subtly shaking his head like, what are you doing? You have an understanding of what it was that he was questioning you were doing? Just drinking and talking to the men on either side of me. As the formalities wrapped up, Person 17 says people stood up from their tables and started mingling. I was sort of near the table where I'd been sitting speaking to people and I saw Ben sort of gesture at me angrily like, you know, we need to go, let's go from some distance away. And so he went out and I went out after him and on my way out a man approached me. I think he was trying to pick me up and I said to him, you know, I'm leaving now, can you... I'm getting a lift back to my hotel with Ben Robert Smith. Can you help me find him and find the car park again? From the trial, we now know that this man is a former army officer, a man named Terry Nichols, called as a witness by Robert Smith. And Nichols tells the court that Person 17 was unsteady on her feet and she was slurring her speech. Robert Smith's evidence is that he'd organised a com car to take him and Person 17 back to the hotel. He says he told Person 17 he'd meet her out the front of Parliament House, but that she never arrived. The newspaper's lawyer, Nicholas Owens, probes Robert Smith on his mood at this point. And it's correct, isn't it, that her behaviour at the dinner had embarrassed you? No, I wasn't embarrassed by how she behaved at the dinner. I actually didn't really notice her. I was too busy because I was up and down on the stage all night. And it's certainly true, isn't it, that you were angry that she had kept you waiting for so long at the end of the night? I was annoyed, certainly. You were angry, weren't you? I wasn't angry. I was annoyed. You were angry and frustrated. No, I was definitely annoyed and frustrated. I agree with that. Person 17 says the man helping her, who we now know as Terry Nichols, walks with her down the stairs towards the underground car park. The stairs, about eight steps, several lots of eight steps with the landing in between And they kind of turned back on themselves as I was walking down the first lot of the stairs. I turned around to look at the man who was behind me and I fell down about two or three steps onto the landing and I hit my head as I fell. Terry Nichols says the fall makes a terrible thud and person 17 is left momentarily unconscious. When she comes round, Nichols says there's a large hematoma, a lump on the left side of her forehead above her eye. What happened after you'd fallen? What do you remember happening next? Uh, I don't really remember much about what happened next. I was just really embarrassed and wanted to get out of there because my head was sore. Person 17 says she doesn't remember there being a lump on her head after the fall. She just says her head was sore. 
you're going to hear a lot about the lump on person 17's head because Robert Smith's lawyers say that if she can't remember the seriousness of her fall, it casts doubt on her memory of the rest of the evening. After the fall down the stairs, Nichols says he asked two Australian Federal Police officers who were standing nearby to call her an ambulance. Nichols says person 17 assured him she was not seriously injured. According to Nichols' testimony, she said, it's okay, I'm okay, I just need to see Ben. Nichols says he left person 17 with the AFP officers and finds Ben Robert Smith down in the car park. So I immediately went back inside. I went up the stairs from the forecourt basement to the forecourt, got to the middle landing, and on turning onto the middle landing, there were two federal police officers holding person 17 up against the wall. They then asked me if I knew her. I said yes. Did you notice anything about her appearance when she was leaning up against the wall, Mr Robert Smith? Yes, she had a significant bump at the top of her left eye. Robert Smith says he speaks to the federal police officers and they ask if he's okay to take person 17 home. And he says yes. And I put my arms around her to steady her and carry her, effectively, down the stairs and towards the comm car. We got to the comm car and I laid her down in the back of the comm car and had to sit, well, physically sit her up to put her seatbelt on and ask her to stay upright. And then I sat in the passenger seat next to the driver. According to Person 17's testimony, when she's in the car with Robert Smith, she asks to be taken to a hospital or to see a doctor. McClintock asked Robert Smith about this conversation in the car. I asked Person 17 how she felt. She said her head hurt. I asked her if she wanted to go to a hospital. She said no. Why didn't you go to the hospital? At that point, person 17 had already indicated she didn't want to go. And secondly, my feeling on it was it was more intoxication than the bump on her head. Person 17 and Robert Smith went back to their room at the hotel nearby to Parliament House. It's here that the newspapers allege Robert Smith assaulted Person 17. In court, Person 17 is distraught. You're going to hear her account first, as told to the newspaper's lawyer, Nicholas Owens, and a note that this material may be distressing for some listeners. When we got inside the room, Ben got really angry with me. He was sort of up in my face, just inside the doorway, and he was shaking me by the shoulders, and he said, fuck, fuck, what have you done? He said, you're all over the other men, you know? They're going to know that we're having an affair. I should have just left you there, you know? You made a big scene as we were leaving. He said, "Um, I let you into my world, and I trusted you, and you just treated it like a high school formal. And I was saying that I was sorry. I, I knew I had behaved badly at the function. I knew that I was drunk. I just said, look, you know, I'm sorry. I know it was silly. And I said to him, you know, my head's hurting. Can we please like, just go to bed, just forget about it? And then sort of moving into closer to where the bed, the bedroom area, um, He'd been kind of pacing around in the lounge area and getting angry with me. It went on for a while and uh, I had his hands and I was saying, come on, please, just go to bed and forget about it. And 
Yeah, he said to me when I said that my head was hurting, he said something like, it's going to fucking hurt more or I'll show you hurt before he punched me. And then he punched me with his right fist on the left side of my face and I I went back. I think there was like an ottoman type thing at the end of the bed. I went, I went back and that, ended up lying on the bed and just lying there still I guess I just I didn't I didn't know what he was going to do next and then I heard him go around this side of the bed into the bathroom and that's all I remember In cross-examination person 17 tells the court Robert Smith punched her in the same area she'd injured during the fall earlier that night. But she says it wasn't in the exact same spot. In her evidence in chief, Owens asks person 17, what happened next? Next thing I remember is waking up in the night and I was on the side of the bed closest to the bathroom. I got up to go to the bathroom and he followed me and he watched me go to the toilet And I said, you know, my head hurts. I want to go to the hospital. And he said, no, you'll be fine. I'll look after you. Uh, It's okay. And we went back to bed. And then later in the night, we woke up and we had sex. And afterwards, he was just holding me and saying, it's going to be okay. And I was just apologising to him, saying I loved him. Yes, how sorry I was. Person 17 is asked what she remembers upon waking the following morning. Well, when I woke up the next morning, the sheets were stained because I'd got my period during the night. So I got up to go to the bathroom and I saw my face. (laughs) My eye was all black and swollen. My head. So he'd woke, he woke me up because we'd had an early flight, I think like seven o'clock or something. He would give me up at five and he'd packed all my bags. So he laid, he laid out clothes for me. He made me a coffee and he'd said he'd charge my phone during the night. And I was really worried what he'd done with my phone while I slept. Do you remember him doing anything else before he left the hotel room that morning? Yeah. He showed me photos on his phone that he'd take. And they were photos of me lying naked in the bed. Did he say anything to you when he showed you those photos? He said, do I need to keep these photos? I just didn't say anything. Ben Robert Smith has an entirely different account of what happened when he and Person 17 walked into that hotel room. I took Person 17 out of the car, took her inside the Realm Hotel to the elevators. She was extremely unsteady on her feet and I effectively had to hold her up completely. I took her high-heeled shoes off so she could walk properly and escorted her back to our room. When we got there, I led her into the room put her down onto the bed, and at that point she had completely passed out. 
I went to the phone and called room service and asked them to bring up a bucket of ice, which they did. I took the ice, placed it into a plastic bin liner and then wrapped it in a tea towel or a chucks wipe, it was something from the kitchen, to place it on her head. But before I did that, I undressed her and put her into bed. I put her a couple of pillows underneath her head so that she would be elevated. And then I placed the ice on her, on the bump above her left eye. Robert Smith was trained as a patrol medic. In his words, he says that equates effectively to the level of a paramedic. He says he stayed up all night monitoring Person 17's vital signs, her respiration rate and her pulse rate. After setting her up in bed, I made sure that they were in the normal range, which they were, because I was concerned about it. We have two starkly different versions of that evening. In cross-examination, each side's lawyer tries to advance their side's version of events of what happened that night in that hotel room. First, here's Owens, lawyer for the newspapers, putting Person 17's allegations to Ben Robert Smith. And as you both got to the end of the bed, she said to you that her head was hurting. Do you remember that? No. She was already lying on the bed because I had laid her down and she had fallen asleep because she could hardly walk. And we didn't have any more communication until the morning when she woke up, when I woke her up. Well, what I put to you is that you were standing at the end of the bed. She was holding your hands. And you said to her words to the effect of, it's going to fucking hurt more or I'll show you what fucking hurt is. Well, that's completely false. And then what happened is you withdrew your right hand from her hold and you punched her hard on the left temple with a clenched right fist. I have never struck any woman, and I certainly didn't strike person 17. We walked into the room, I carried her in there, effectively laid her on the bed. She went to sleep. I set her up so she was comfortable, I got ice for her head, I laid her clothes out, and then I didn't speak to her again until the morning, because she was effectively unconscious. Owens offers an explanation for why person 17 was, according to Robert Smith, effectively unconscious. She only became unconscious after you punched her, correct? I've never hit a woman. I never would hit a woman. I certainly have never hit person 17. According to person 17, she woke up during that night. Robert Smith is asked about this. Now, do you recollect that at some point during this night, person 17 woke up? She didn't wake up until I woke her up in the morning. Owens continues. Now, it's right, isn't it, that at some point during the night you initiated sex with person 17? No. And after you had sex, you lay next to her and held her? No. And she told you multiple times that she was sorry and that she loved you, correct? Person 17 lay on the bed as soon as I put her there and was asleep or unconscious until the next morning when I woke her up to get onto the plane. We didn't speak and we certainly didn't have sex. Owens asked Robert Smith about person 17's claim that he showed her photographs of her naked on his phone. You also took some photographs of her with the covers pulled down so as to expose her naked body, didn't you? No, and that's disgusting. I've never done anything like that and never would. And you did it and you showed her those photographs the following morning, didn't you? No, I did not. And you took those photographs for the purpose of having something to hold over her again, correct? No. The newspapers argue Person 17's memory of what happened that night at the Realm Hotel is clear. They say her memory of what happened at Parliament House might be hazy, and that's understandable, and they accept that she doesn't remember 
what happened immediately after she fell. But they say there's no evidence that Person 17 had any difficulty remembering the alleged assault later that night. Robert Smith's lawyers argue Person 17 is an unreliable witness because she was drunk and she hit her head. They say the court should doubt her evidence when it comes to the alleged assault. Bruce McClintock, who's Robert Smith's barrister, attempts to cast doubt on Person 17's testimony. You see, you had consumed a very substantial amount of alcohol that day and you had fallen and hit your head quite seriously, hadn't you? I had hit my head, yes. You have no actual recollection of what happened that night at all, do you now? I do. You have no memory of what happened in the room at the Realm Hotel, do you? That's not correct. My client did not say anything to you along the lines of, it's going to hurt more after you said your head hurt, did he? That is what he said. That's a complete fabrication, Person 17. You've made that up. No, it's not. He did not hit you, did he? He did. You did not have sex that night, did you? We did. According to the newspapers, this was an opportunistic attack by Robert Smith. He was hitting her where she'd already had an injury from falling down the stairs. According to Robert Smith's lawyers, Person 17 is the one making the opportunistic claim, alleging he assaulted her when she'd already injured herself. And just by the way, you selected this night as the one to make the allegation of assault against my client opportunistically because you knew it was the one time that you actually suffered a verifiable injury to your head. That is when you fell down the stairs in Canberra. That's the truth, isn't it? No. Ultimately, Robert Smith and Person 17 have two irreconcilable versions of events about what happened in that room and the Realm Hotel that night. There are no external witnesses. It is his word against hers. We'll be back after this. On the way to the airport the next morning, Person 17 and Robert Smith talk about how she's going to explain her black eye to her husband. This is what she says to Nicholas Owens, the lawyer for the newspapers. When we got in the car, he said to me, you know what happens for us now? It's going to depend on what you say to your husband when you get home. What are you going to tell him about what happened last night? He said, do you remember what happened in the hotel room? I said, no. And he said something like, good girl, you know, you hurt yourself when you fell over. Why did you say that? You couldn't remember what had happened last night? I was afraid of what it would do if I didn't say that. After he said, good girl, you hurt yourself when you fell over, what do you remember anything being said after that? He said, you need to tell your husband that you were drinking alone in your hotel room in Brisbane and you took some of your medication to help you sleep, but that when you got out later in the night to go out and get food, you fell down some stairs and that's how you hurt yourself and got injury to your face. You need to tell him I wasn't with you. In his evidence, Ben Robert Smith says he impressed upon Person 17 that she has to tell her husband she fell. She told me she didn't know what she would tell her husband. It was evident to me that because of her injury, he may thought I may have struck her. I said to her, he's going to think that I've struck you. You're going to have to tell him 
that you've fallen down the stairs and we were together, which she wasn't happy with because she had not told him that she was with me at that time. Person 17 went to the doctor. She says the first thing the doctor asked her is if someone had punched her. She says she told the doctor she was drunk and fell down a set of stairs. In her evidence in chief, she explains to Owens that her family and her doctor have a number of mutual acquaintances. She didn't want to say anything to open up another can of worms. Robert Smith's lawyer, Bruce McClintock, reads out the doctor's notes from the appointment. There's no mention of any possible assault. According to Robert Smith's lawyers, the doctor's note demonstrates person 17 is lying about the alleged assault. That afternoon, person 17 texts Robert Smith again to say she'd been to the doctor who'd reassured her her injuries weren't serious. He texts back. I'm really glad to hear that your injuries are not worse and that you'll be better soon. I was legitimately worried last night, which is why I stayed up, but I'm sure that ice helped to some degree. I'm not going to bullshit you. Your behaviour has given me real cause to think and I'm a little in shock myself. Apart from putting yourself in a dangerous situation, I found it really disrespectful and inappropriate. In saying that, however, I acknowledge you have apologised and I accept your apology. Robert Smith explains to his lawyers why he sent that text message. I was prompted to send that message because that is exactly how I felt about the situation. Because it was highly embarrassing for both her and I at, at Parliament House. It was inappropriate behaviour and I, I just couldn't see our relationship continuing. It effectively was the final straw. All right. Thank you. When you say in this text, I found it really disrespectful and inappropriate, what were you referring to? I was referring to being at an event at Parliament House to begin with, where the Prime Minister of our country was present and her being so intoxicated and effectively to the point where she endangered herself by falling down the stairs. Less than a week after the alleged incident at the Canberra Hotel, Person 17 says she received a call from Robert Smith. He said to me, you know, we need to end this. It's become sort of like toxic and bad, bad for both of us, dangerous for both of us. And I agreed with that and I said to him, I just, you know, I'd like to see you one more time because I didn't want things to end the way that they had after the Canberra trip. They agreed to meet up in two days' time in Brisbane. When they meet again, it's been eight days since they last saw each other in person in Canberra. Now, Robert Smith's lawyers claim that this is an example of how Person 17's conduct is inconsistent with that of an assault victim. They say this discredits her testimony. She wants to see Robert Smith again. They lived in different cities, so seeing each other involved deliberate effort, making plans, booking flights and hotels... This is what Bruce McClintock puts to person 17 during cross-examination. You say you were frightened, don't you? Yes. It is not a good indication of fear, is it, if you want to replicate the very situation where the incident that you say happened had occurred? I was simultaneously in love with him and afraid of him. You see, person 17, you have professional qualifications, don't you? (sighs) Yes. You're an educated woman. Yes, That's tertiary education, in fact. Yes. Obviously, you're independently wealthy, aren't you? Yes. You were married, weren't you? Yes. 
You didn't have to go and meet my client on any particular occasion, did you? No. You put considerable effort into meeting him approximately once every 10 days in the five months or six months this liaison continued, didn't you? Yes. You took steps like leaving your husband and your children to see him, didn't you? Yes. No one made you do it? No. My client had no power over you, did he? He did. The newspaper's lawyer, Nicholas Owens, is fiercely critical of this line of argument. Owens says that a victim wanting to continue contact with their abuser is not inconsistent with an assault. And Owens argues, criticism of Person 17's desire to see Robert Smith again is based on, in his words, thoroughly outmoded and outdated and discredited stereotypes about how a victim of domestic violence should behave. The meeting between Robert Smith and Person 17 in Brisbane goes ahead. We met in the afternoon and had dinner and had a discussion about the fact that the relationship was over, which she accepted. We talked through, you know, basically that. It was just an amicable conversation that she understood it was over. I understood it was over. And initially he was, you know, really charming and sort of said, look, I don't. It's not really what I want, but this is you. I think it's for the best that this happens. And I said, I agree. He said, you're like, crack, you know, I'm going to find it really hard to give you up, which I also agreed because even after, you know, everything that happens in our relationship, it was sort of become a bit like an addiction, like we couldn't stop, even though I think we both knew that it was bad for us. He said to me, as long as we're on the same page, you've got nothing to worry about. But if you do anything stupid or turn on me, I'll burn your house down and it might not be you that gets hurt. But people that you love and care about. And he showed me photos from the hotel room in Canberra. It was some photos of my diary, my notebook and photos of my cards my bank cards from inside my purse. Under cross-examination, Robert Smith denies taking any photos of Person 17 or making any threats against her. Person 17 and Robert Smith spend the night together at a hotel in Brisbane. The next morning is the 6th of April and Person 17 says she wakes up with a new resolve. I just thought I need to um, get out of this. The previous night, even though we talked about ending it, we also discussed catching up again sometime in June when we both had a bit of space from everything to see where we're at in our marriages and how we felt about everything then. So I just, I don't know, I felt like I had to put an end to the relationship or I was never going to be free of him. So I looked at his driver's licence while he was in the shower. I took note of his address. The 6th of April is a Friday and it's the Easter school holidays. Emma Roberts takes the kids off to an art class and runs some errands. 
I went to the supermarket and I got a phone call from our housekeeper, which wasn't unusual if she needed something while I was out. I answered, said, hi, Dizzy, which is what I called her, and it wasn't Di on the phone. So when I got on the phone, I told her my name again and I said, I'm a friend of your husband's. And she said, what do you have to tell me? And I said, can you please come home because I'd rather have this conversation in person. And she said that she would. While person 17 waits for Emma to arrive home, she meets Emma's mother and stepfather. They were dressed as though they'd come to do some kind of yard work. She, the mother, took me into the garden area with her and she said to me, you know, who are you? You know, um, what have you? Why have you come to see me? And I said to her that I'd been having an affair with Ben. And she said to me, what happened to your face? And I said, I don't want to talk about it. And she said, he did that to you, didn't he? And I said, no, I fell down the stairs last week when I was drunk. And she said, no, you didn't. Um, That's not what happened. I've seen injuries like that before. That's not what happened to your face. Emma arrives home and finds person 17 in the garden. She sees the black eye and asks person 17 straight away, what happened? She said, I fell down, drunk, set of stairs at Parliament House. She told me that she also had a bruise on her hip from when she fell. I said to her, I didn't need to see that. I asked her why she came to the house. What was it that she wanted? Initially, she thought, she she kept asking me if I was from Seven or I worked for Seven from the media. And I said, no, I just met him at a function. And she said something like, well, that explains why he never takes me to things with him anymore. Then, Emma says, person 17's phone starts ringing. She picked her phone up out of her handbag while I was standing there because Ben was calling her. I asked her not to answer his call while she was there at the house and she said, would you like to see the messages that I have? I said yes and I read them for about three hours. The text messages make it abundantly clear. Person 17 is having an affair with Ben Robert Smith. During these tense three hours, Emma's parents come in and out of the house into the garden, checking on Emma. This is what Emma tells the lawyer for the newspapers, Nicholas Owens. Remember anything else that Person 17 told you in those three hours? I asked her why she was not going to be seeing him anymore, and she kept pointing to her black eye, saying, because of this. And I said, what do you mean because of this? She had told me that she'd fallen down the stairs and she said, because of this, he won't see me anymore. And my mum said, are you saying that Ben did that to you? And what did she say in response? She didn't answer us. Person 17 has one more revelation before she leaves Emma's family home. She told me that she had fallen pregnant during their relationship. She told me that it was definitely Ben's because I asked her if it was her husband's. She said it was definitely Ben's, and I said, did you lose it or did you have an abortion? And she didn't answer me. In cross-examination, McClintock asks why Person 17 went to Robert Smith and Emma's house. What you really wanted was to end my client's marriage so you could have him for yourself. That's why you went to his house on the 6th of April 2018, isn't it? No, It was either that or just a straight-out act of vindictive revenge, wasn't it? No. Person 17 leaves the house 
Emma says Robert Smith arrives home later that day. I was sitting on the veranda and he walked up and I asked him how he will ever live with himself. We stayed up until midnight. He told me about their relationship. I had read most of it on text message. It was complete chaos, pretty much. He did sleep that night. I asked him to sleep in the spare room downstairs. Emma says she decides to stay with her husband and try to work on their marriage. But the couple were worried about what Person 17 might do. The newspaper's lawyer, Nicholas Owens, asks about this. We were very paranoid about her going to the press. Ben had suggested that the only way we would survive is if we said we were separated if it hit the press. And what, what did you understand him to mean to say? That during that period that he was seeing Person 17, that we weren't together and that I was to lie. Remember the words that he used as best you can. What words did Mr Robert Smith use to you when he said that? He was standing in our bedroom and I didn't want to lie. It was enough lies. Then he pointed to our children that were in the lounge room and he said, if you don't lie, you will lose them. Remember what, if anything, you said in response to that? I knew at that point I had to lie for him. Listening to this in court, it's one of the few moments where Emma Roberts' voice wavers. And it's a clearly painful point in her evidence. Throughout her testimony, Emma has remained stoic and steadfast. In cross-examination, Robert Smith denies ever coercing his wife to say they were separated at the time of his relationship with Person 17. He denies ever making any threats. He says this version of him asking Emma to lie is completely false. A few days after this confrontation at the house, Person 17, at the insistence of her husband, goes to the police about the alleged assault in Canberra. Person 17 tells the court she was afraid of what she'd been caught up in. And I said to them, I need to speak to someone senior because I was worried about Ben's connections in the military and the police. It proves futile. She says her request to speak to a senior officer is denied. Soon after, she gets in contact with Nick McKenzie, one of the journalists who wrote the stories at the centre of this defamation trial. McKenzie puts Person 17 in contact with officers from the Australian Federal Police. I said to them, I don't really want to make a formal complaint. I just want to tell somebody about this because I'm scared. and I'm scared of what he's going to say. I'm scared that if all of this becomes public somehow anyway, that he'll think that it was my doing and that he'll seek payback. Not long after Person 17 approaches police, articles alleging an act of domestic violence and intimidation by Ben Robert Smith are front-page news. At home on the Sunshine Coast, it's a school day and Emma is getting her daughters ready for netball training. And my phone was ringing and was, I was getting a lot of text messages as I was about to run out the door. I read one of them and it said, you must be devastated. And it dawned on me then that it must have hit the press. I put the girls in the car and ran back inside and Googled Ben's name. Ben was at the time staying in a Brisbane hotel. He was down there for work. I tried ringing his phone and it was off. So I rang the hotel reception and got put through to his room. He answered and I said to him, you need to read the press. 
The headline in the Sydney Morning Herald reads, Beneath the Bravery of Our Most Decorated Soldier. This article is behind two of the alleged defamatory imputations in this defamation case. One, that Ben Robert Smith committed an act of domestic violence against a woman in the hotel realm in Canberra. And two, that Robert Smith is a hypocrite who publicly supported Rosie Batty, a domestic violence campaigner, when in private he abused a woman. The article goes on to outline how Ben Robert Smith helped to select Rosie Batty as the Australian of the Year. The article even has a photo, the tall soldier comforting a tearful Batty. The article says senior defence officials were aware of the allegations made by the woman with whom Robert Smith was having an affair, that he committed domestic violence and he intimidated her. Bruce McClintock asks his client about his personal views. What is your attitude towards domestic violence, Mr Robert Smith? I think it's deplorable, morally reprehensible. My mother and father brought me up with a very good set of values. I respect women a great deal. I have no tolerance for anyone that would ever raise a hand to a woman. I have two daughters that I will bring up to respect themselves. I find it a disgusting act of cowardice. Robert Smith and Emma Roberts discuss how they're going to respond to this article. According to Emma's testimony, he tells her they need to do a story to say that they were separated at the time of the alleged affair. He arranges for a journalist from The Australian to interview him. It happens that afternoon. The Australian newspaper is a direct competitor to Fairfax, the newspaper group which has made the allegation. And the article is on the front page the next day. The headline reads, War Hero Lashes His Accusers. In the picture, Emma Roberts and Ben Robert Smith stand holding each other beside a ramshackle country fence, staring resolutely at the camera. In the article, Robert Smith says he and Emma were separated when he was in a relationship with another woman. Emma is not quoted directly. She says she never spoke with a journalist who wrote the story. But regardless, the article says that she knew about the affair and that she and her husband were back together, in love, and had resolved to work things out. The newspaper's lawyer, Nicholas Owens, asks Robert Smith directly if he coerced his wife to participate in the story. And isn't it right that you told your wife that she would lose the children if she did not adhere to the story, that you had been separated at the time of your affair? That is completely false. The couple remained married for almost another 18 months. Now, you recall there's a significant difference in how Emma Roberts and Ben Robert Smith described their marriage during the time of Robert Smith's affair with Person 17. Robert Smith said he separated from Emma in September 2017 and he met Person 17 in October that year. Emma says this separation never happened. When the case was originally filed, Emma Roberts was going to be a witness for Ben Robert Smith, not for the newspapers. And as part of Robert Smith's case, she'd signed a statement under oath to say that she'd been separated from Robert Smith during the period of this relationship with Person 17. But three months before the trial begins, Emma switches sides and agrees to testify for the newspapers against her ex-husband. And she changes her story, now claiming 
They were still married at the time. Nicholas Owens asks her, why did you say something that wasn't true? Ben asked me to lie. Owens takes Emma Roberts through her signed statement. Taking it in pieces, the first sentence, in October 2017, Ben and I separated. Was that true? No. And why did you tell the lawyers who prepared this document something that wasn't true? Ben asked me to. And it says, although he had moved out of the house during our separation. Is that correct? Had he moved out of the house during the separation? No, he had not. Was there a separation? No, there was no separation. In his closing arguments, Owen says there's no benefit for Emma Roberts to lie here. After all, telling the truth concedes she'd previously lied about the state of their marriage. The newspapers are relying on Emma's version of events now to assert that Ben Robert Smith is the one lying about this supposed period of separation. Nicholas Owens pursues this line of argument that Robert Smith is deliberately lying about his marriage and about his separation. Owens asks Robert Smith, why didn't you tell your children you were separated? Why didn't you tell any close friends? Why didn't you tell your marriage counsellor during any of your sessions? You'll recall that in the four marriage counselling sessions Robert Smith and Emma had during January and February of 2018, in the middle of this supposed period of separation, there was no mention of the couple being separated. Owens asks Robert Smith about this under cross-examination. Can I show you another document which is a record of the next session of your marriage counselling? Now, is this right that you attended a second session on 29 January 2018? Uh, Yes, it looks like that. And either you or your wife told the marriage counsellor that you had had a good weekend away with the family? Yes. Is that true? I don't know which weekend it's referring to and I don't know if I said it or my wife said it. Well, you certainly wouldn't have lied to the marriage counsellor, would you? Well, we certainly omitted things from the marriage counsellor, as we would other people. Because you weren't, in fact, at this time separated, correct? No, because we were separated and we had agreed that we weren't going to tell him because we didn't want it written down because I had a public profile and we didn't want it to come out because we had been keeping up appearances for many years, really. I submit to you that that answer is false, Mr Robert Smith. Well, it's not. It's actually exactly what happened. Owens puts forward Emma Roberts' version of events, which is that Robert Smith forced her to lie about the separation. Now, I put to you, Mr Robert Smith, that what you did was make up a lie that you'd been separated at the time of your affair in order to avoid embarrassment and public fallout from it being known that you'd had an affair. No, what we did was we decided to tell people we were separated because we didn't want the public or anybody else to have any visibility on our private life because it was, quite frankly, none of their business until it was published in the paper by your clients. So we told them the truth. The fact of the matter was, yes, we agreed that would take the sting out of it. But there has never been any dispute about the fact that I saw Person 17 of my own accord without my wife's knowledge. I've never denied it. But we did it because publicly, yes, you're right. I didn't want to have to have my children read that stuff in the paper. The same thing that any normal person would probably want to do. But there was no lie. Well, it's right, isn't it, that you came up with a lie for the purpose of dealing with the press. And then you felt obliged to continue that lie in these proceedings, correct? No, we said we were separated because we were. Because you were concerned that, having told a lie publicly to the press, 
if you changed course in these proceedings, it would adversely affect your reliability as a witness. Correct. It's an interesting spin, Mr. Owens, but it's completely wrong. You've gone the wrong way with it. We did it because that's what happened. It's not hard to conceive of the immense and destabilising impact of these articles on Emma and Ben's relationship. When the allegations of war crimes and domestic violence are published in 2018, they are, for better or worse, still a couple. Did you observe his reaction when you told him what people had said? Yes. What was it? He was devastated. In cross-examination, Bruce McClintock takes Emma to her outline of evidence. Did one of your children say what appears there, Ms Roberts? Yes. Why does Dad not smile anymore? Please forgive me, but, but what did you say to her? Would you like a moment to compose yourself? Yes, please. Justice Basanko adjourns the court for part of the afternoon. It's clear there's an enormous emotional dissonance here for Emma Roberts. Sympathising with her husband at the time these articles are published in 2018 and being furious with him by the time they finally separate in January of 2020. The court session resumes. You see there's a message, a message 29 at 1346, on that date, 22nd of January. Yes. Read it out. Read it out? Read it out. I'm actually feeling so fucking angry today. What's the next one say? I want to punch the fucking cunt in the face. That's how you saw my client, isn't it? Nine days after he left, yes. Step by step, McClintock takes Emma through the massive bundle of text messages she sent throughout 2020 to her best friend, Danielle Scott. And then you said what you said because he's a lying, cheating, cunt human, didn't you? Yes. Father of your children is the way, that's the way you described him, wasn't it? Yes. Then Danielle says to you, yes, and you can't run away from that shit forever. You see that? Yes. Then you go, hashtag Titanic, didn't you? Yes. You're drawing an analogy between what you hoped and expected to happen to my client and the shipwreck of the Titanic, weren't you? Yes. See, what I want to put to you at this point in November 2020, you hated my client. That's right, isn't it? I was very frustrated in a very, very bitter divorce, yes. You hated him. I don't think I hate Ben, no. I was very frustrated with Ben at the time, yes. In closing arguments, Robert Smith's lawyers detail the ways in which Person 17 tries to get in contact with Robert Smith after the confrontation at the house in April. But he ignores her. Robert Smith's lawyers say Person 17 was begging Robert Smith to get in contact. In one email tendered to court, Person 17 writes, Why won't you just talk to me before things get out of control? Find a way. Robert Smith's lawyers say that by the end of May, he'd cut off all communication with Person 17. This is the same month that Person 17 reaches out to journalist Nick McKenzie. Robert Smith's legal team claims that Person 17 fabricated the story of the assault and then approached McKenzie about it. It was, they say, a premeditated act intended to destroy Robert Smith's reputation. They argue, and I quote, It's not the act of a person in fear. It's not the act of someone in love. It's just an act intended to cause harm. 
Robert Smith's lawyers argue it's only after Person 17 contacts Mackenzie that she then goes to the AFP, where her complaint hangs for a couple of months until the articles are published. And then she withdraws her complaint to the police soon after publication. In the newspaper's closing arguments, their lawyer, Nicholas Owens, tells the court Person 17 was simultaneously in love with Robert Smith and terrified of him. He tells the court the situation was complex and that matters such as this are never black and white. He says it's hardly an unknown occurrence for people to hold conflicting emotions, emotions that are at times not able to be rationally reconciled. In cross-examination, McClintock suggests Emma Roberts is testifying against her ex-husband to hurt him, to further wound his reputation. And you see, you'd love to see my client lose this case, wouldn't you? No. In fact, you're here to inflict as much damage upon him as you can. I hope Ben survives this nightmare. If hearing about allegations of domestic violence and threatening behaviour has raised any issues for you, you can call the National Sexual Assault Domestic Family Violence Counselling Service on 1800 737 732. That's 1800 RESPECT. Their website is 1800respect.org.au and they're available 24 hours a day. You can also call the Men's Referral Service on 1300 766 491 or Lifeline on 131114, or chat via their website at lifeline.org.au. The allegations of domestic violence in this episode are disputed. Outside of this case, for those listening, it's important to be clear that violence against women is preventable. It occurs in homes, in workplaces, in social settings, in public spaces, in institutions, and online. For information on an evidence-based framework for change, across Australia, please go to www.ourwatch.org.au forward slash change the story. Next, on Ben Robert Smith versus the media. Conflict emerges between patrols and even within them over what happened at one of the SAS's most consequential engagements in a compound codenamed Whiskey 108. The individual that I saw was actually running in a crouch and was holding a bolt-action rifle in his hand. Were two insurgents lawfully killed? I shouted to RS and asked him if he was all right. He said, yep, they just engaged two squirters to the north. Or were two men murdered? I recall saying to person 14 at the time, did we just witness an execution? An allegation that is denied outright. Ben Robert Smith versus the media featured Jason Chong as the voice of Ben Robert Smith. Person 17 was voiced by Airly Dodds, Emma Roberts by Nizreen Amin. Nicholas Owens SC was voiced by Colin Smith, Bruce McClintock SC by Dane Carson, and Arthur Moses SC by Barry Lee Pierce. This episode was reported by me, Ben Doherty, and Ellen Lee Beater. 
produced by Alison Chan and Camilla Hannan, series producer Ellen Liebeter, with production assistance from Joey Watson, Rashna Farooq, Laura Briley-Newton and Mel Chun. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannan with James Milsom. Executive produced by Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Independent and investigative journalism, like Ben Robert Smith versus the media, takes time and money. The Guardian is free from commercial bias. We're not influenced by billionaire owners, by politicians or by shareholders. And unlike many news organisations, we've not put up a paywall as we believe everybody deserves access to quality journalism at a time when factual, honest reporting matters more than ever. To help us deliver this journalism, the kind of independent journalism the world needs, you can make a contribution to The Guardian. Every contribution, large or small, means we can keep investigating and exploring the critical issues of our time. And it only takes a minute. Just go to theguardian.com forward slash support full story.